parents, this is for you, and I'm sending you love and support today. Through the pandemic, you've not only had to deal with your own health issues and fears and concerns, you've had to deal with parents' issues, you've had to deal with family issues, but as a parent, you've had to homeschool your children, you've had to entertain your children, you've had to help your children deal emotionally with all of this, and in the broader scope, you've had to keep them safe. Well, now, as the world starts opening up, the decisions continue to be and the questions continue to be, what should I do with my kids? Can I let them have play dates? Can I let them go to camp? And what's going to happen in the fall? Can I let them go to school? How do I keep my kids safe? And how do I keep my family safe? Well, today I've got a great expert for you, top doctor, who's a mother of two kids. She's dealt with it all. I'm Sarah Heiner, and this is the Bottom Line Advocator Podcast. Don't forget to rate and review us when you're done, because that's the way that we get other people to hear and know this great information. Hi, Facebook. Welcome to Thursday Afternoon with Sarah Heiner and Bottom Line Advocator and our Facebook Live series that we've been doing. Um, Today, I've got a special treat for you. Before I introduce Dr. Daria, um, who's next to me, smiling there beautifully, um, let me just remind you, we've got a whole bunch of videos that we've been doing. They are... Um, you can find them in the Facebook page. You can also see them in our YouTube channel, Bottom Line Inc.'s YouTube channel. You can share them with people. Um, a lot of important questions, a lot of great docs that I've been talking to. And we've been doing these, I'll call it every week. Let's see what else I have to do to tell you. We have actually, you know, one thing, um, we've got there, our Immunity Lifeline program that I just started yesterday, but it's not too late to sign up. A six-week program with Dr. William Lee and Dr. Jacob Teitelbaum. The biggest thing that you can do through all of this is strengthen your immune system. Every day, maybe there's a vaccine. I just saw something today about a vaccine getting closer. Um, Whatever drugs is helping or not. But meanwhile, the spikes are occurring. Is it the continued wave one? Is it another wave? Is it a spike? The common thing throughout all of it is how strong are you and how well can you protect yourself? So I'm really excited about this six-week program. If you go to immunitylifeline.com, there'll be a link in the the chats. um, So you can go there because among, among the best things, strongest things you can do is strengthen yourself. Um, so you have time to catch up on that. Um, if you've got questions for Dr. Daria, put them on in the chat box. And by very high-tech Flintstones technology, if you see me looking down, it's because someone's <laughs> texting me um, to give me a message about who's talking and what kind of questions are coming through. All right, let me introduce Dr. Daria. We're going to talk to parents today and kids. Um, thank goodness for me. I'm so grateful that I've got a 23-year-old and a 26-year-old because I am beyond what so many people are suffering with regard to managing children through this. We had you know, the school, the education system, the fears about their health, the fears about whether or not even if they did or didn't get sick, whether they could be carriers, and you had to worry about people in your own house getting sick or grandparents getting sick. It's been a, just a muddle of confusion. So Dr. Daria, actually, I will introduce you to her, but she's a prominent ER doc. You've probably seen her on many of her um, media um, presentations, and she's a mother of two and young children, so she's got it all. All right, let me introduce her officially, which I always look at the bullet points so that I don't mess up, because every bit of it, you're so important. She's a clinical assistant professor at the University of Tennessee. Um, Dr. Daria, her full name is Dr. Daria Long Gillespie, but her short name is Dr. Daria. She received her training in emergency medicine at Yale School of Medicine and her MBA from Harvard Business School. Uh, She's the author of the best-selling book, Mom Hacks, which is an awesome book. I was reading it in the last couple of days. quick read and so like so many tips do this do this so handy um tedx speaker of the now widely popular and er doc on triaging your crazy busy life and as i said she's a mother of two so she definitely qualifies um 
Uh, and as I said, you may have seen her on her many appearances. She's on CNN, Headline News, Dr. Oz, NBC, and so many more. Um, go check her out, drdaria.com, where you can download a free copy of her weeknight dinner blueprint and meal plan. Very handy. Um, and also take her Are You Crazy Busy quiz, which actually, oh, by the way, I'll tell you a secret. She says, never use that phrase. Be ready, but don't be crazy busy. Um, and her toolkit and sign up for her lifestyle guide with a science-based soul. And on social media, follow her on Facebook and on Instagram at Dr. Daria. Welcome, Daria. <laughs> Hi. Thank you, Sarah. Good to see you. Good to see you. You know, I, I, I want to get everything in because your, your credentials and your experience is so great. And yet I want to get to what you're talking about. So I want you to properly introduce yourself. So go through it, but make sure all the points are made. Well, thank you. Thank you. And if people see me looking over here, it's because I have the Facebook over here in case people do put comments. So that's what I'm doing. Right, so yes. Okay. So our promise is we're being polite to each other, but, <laughs> but we're doing what moms say we really can't do is multitask, right? Exactly. What I tell people not to do, but you know, for the sake, I'll allow it. I'm going to cut so us some slack. Every so often we have to do it. All right, let's talk about, so high level, let's start off with just number one question, how dangerous is COVID for kids? You know, that, that we're all so paranoid about and scared of it, but if you look at the death stats and if you look at the illness stats, kids, it's pretty darn low in terms of getting it and dying of it. Yeah, you're exactly right, Sarah. And, and here's the thing that I look at it as a doctor and a mom, I know that for the vast majority of children who, if they do get COVID, will be okay. That's reassuring. There's this, the one thing that's concerning is that there is some small portion of children that do get severely ill. For instance, with this, there's COVID and the, there's this Kawasaki-like syndrome, the MSIS hyphen C. Right. Which is um, the, the, the um, storming inflammation. Right, and we can talk about that. Absolutely, I'm happy to go into detail. But the, the bottom line is the mass, vast majority of children, they will be okay. The, the scary part is there is some small percentage of children who could be otherwise totally healthy and they could get that MSISC, which is why the way I'm looking at it is it's not from a position of panic. I'm just staying vigilant and I'm just watching every single day to see what the data is as we learn more because every day we are learning more. So let My me put something line. in perspective, though. And I talked about this a little bit with Willie yesterday in the immunity program, um, because COVID is so under the microscope, and we have so made people so fearful and paranoid about it. But there will always be some child mm -hmm. that will react badly to everything. There will always be some child that will die of a hangnail. I'm exaggerating, but you know what I mean, that something mm -hmm. happens and that yeah. each one of these is being reported heavily in the news. But do people really, like realistically, you can't control those, those odd kind of outlier experiences, nor should we stop living our lives for that, no? Well, so you're right. There have been around, I think, three childhood deaths in the United States regarding, related to COVID um, and questions of how much it was due to COVID or not. But so there's a difference. One is mindset, and then secondly is what you do. That's why I'm not panicking about COVID. Right. I go work in the emergency department taking care of COVID patients, and then I come home, and some people are saying, well, are you, are you exposing your family? Well, I kind of don't have a choice. If I don't come home to my kids, my kids aren't, you know, who's going to eat and, and make sure that the laundry is done in this house? Um, so I'm not panicking from that perspective, but I am saying, okay, what are the risks that I have to do? Like going to work in the ER, going to the grocery store, you know, very different comparisons, right. but what are the things I have to do? And then 
So I'm not going to do though the extra stuff. If there are things that are optional right now that add additional marginal risk, I'm not doing those right now just to eliminate extra risk. So it's mindset is not panicking, but I am staying vigilant and and trying to be smart. My kids aren't going and doing a lot of extra activities right now. But and again that the kids overall are not at high risk of getting this. So we don't, yeah, they, we don't, they're not getting it or if they're just less likely to be symptomatic. Um, so, but it's, it appears that they may be less likely to get it. And then if they do get it, they're less likely to become symptomatic and they're less likely to become severely ill. And even those kids that have to end up in the pediatric ICU, the statistics show that their survival is much, much better than for adults. So that has been the one reassuring thing from COVID in contrast to potentially some other diseases that it doesn't seem, knock on wood, to be striking our, our children as well. And that is the one exception is children under the age of one who are, of course, more vulnerable in general. Should parents um, shift their, so this is an interesting question, totally out of the blue, just to, mm -hmm. I put pieces together. So it occurs to me, you know, kids under one that are getting their, their um, vaccinations, Right, because they don't they don't yet have a lot of their immune system. Right. It's it's so developing. Um, is there any reason to hold off on any of the, those vaccines while this is running around? And on the flip side, is I saw something today about getting an MMR vaccine that might actually protect people from it. We're getting a so, of an MMR vaccine. Yeah, what you you do the bottom line, do not do not delay any of those other vaccines we have for children because then what you're doing is you're taking the theoretical risk of COVID to your children and you are swapping it out for a very real risk of other known disease. Right. I mean, just as an example of, of vaccines, the impact, when I started residency, children up to the age of three months, if they had a fever, we were doing a spinal tap on them because mm -hmm. a fever from a runny nose could end up with meningitis. Just mm -hmm. in the past few years with an onset of a couple of new vaccines that children are getting at a younger age means that you don't have to do that at age two or three months anymore. We really only reserve that for the kids under the age of one month. Right. So that's been in you know the course of the last decade, a vaccine has made that much of a difference in terms of meningitis, in terms of young neonates. So no, do not delay any preventive care. Do not delay your children's vaccines at all. Okay. My kids are getting their vaccines, even <laughs> though they're not doing summer camp, but they're getting their vaccines. Okay, got it. Um, have they done any widespread testing of kids? We were talking about that we don't fully know. We don't think that kids are getting it as much. We've got a lot of information on incidents within the adult population. Have there really been any firm studies about kids and then about the are not of kids in terms of yeah. how contagious it is once kids have it? So the studies that they have done on kids, they have done studies of adults who were infected and then looking at their entire households around them. And what they did find is that most of the adults and even the children, and then they look at the children who are infected, those children who were infected, 90% of the time, it was the adult that infected the child, not the other way around. So that's really interesting. Of course, that study was done after we had done a lot of the shutdowns, so the kids right. weren't going to school. So what is going to happen when the children go to school? We don't know that yet. In terms of r not, I'm glad you brought that up because some people seem to think that r not is a fixed number just for any, any infection. Um, right. Even measles r not can be from 12 to 18. And right. r not depends on a number of things, the demographics, depends on how vulnerable a population is, you know, how tightly packed they are. So. Our kiddos, and I have a three-year-old, they do not understand 
personal distance. Right. They, you know, they share everything. So would the virus be potentially any virus, as we know, is more contagious in young children for that reason. So that can affect that. But it seems that children up to this point are getting it more from adults. We'll see what happens when they start going back to camps and schools, though. Because they've been home. So are they, so those children, you said they're more infections because they're from say that again in terms of you made a statement about the kids and the infectious rate. yes so when they looked at, at kids who were infected and they looked at their family members they saw that 90 percent of the children who were infected had gotten it from an adult right. as opposed to that child giving it to an adult in so, their family so what i'm trying to help parents deal with now is because every day it's can my kids play with other kids can my kids see grandma can my so is it if the parents are safe, can we let the kids out of the house? And we'll we'll talk about a bunch of these other things, the school openings, the summer groups. But in general, high level, based on what you're saying, the kids don't have it so much and that they should be able to go play with their kids, maybe not in other people's houses, but go outside and play with their kids. Well, so, and that's one of the things I talk about is doing a quarantine pod. You know, I think it's really smart. Let's, we, we did the shutdown instead of just widely opening it and just let's see what happens, let's slowly open. We're gonna be, some kids are going to camps this summer. Well, let's watch what happens to the camp counselors and the teachers from those camps. Let's see, that's gonna give us information for going back to school. We don't have to make the going back to school full decisions right now. Let's learn, let's make sure we take advantage of these next six weeks to test and learn. Um, so how about, how about herd immunity among kids so that as they're exposed a little bit, does that help strengthen their defenses against it and again even if they get it asymptomatic of course again we never know if our kids are asymptomatic and you don't want to go sticking swabs up their nose every other week um they'd love that they'd love that um they do it on their own right you got a three right anyway it's if like if you could test with crayons stuck up their nose then maybe it wouldn't be a big deal uh, maybe that's the solution, Sarah. Oh, boy, that's we'll, we'll talk afterwards. Wrong, right? <laughs> we'll talk afterwards. Why, why? Why do they put crayons up there? And I was like, who thinks that's a good idea? Um, so, and, and I, I've lost my train of thought, though. Um, <laughs> um, I was talking about herd immunity, actually. Yes. Oh, if, yes. That's what you're talking about. So, somewhat, because so, that's been a lot of discussion right. for adults as well as kids. Right. And if we knew for certain that if you get immunity to this, then that immunity is complete, or at least it's it's partial and it lasts a long period of time. Um, if we knew that piece, and if we had just a little bit more information on this MSISC, on, on why, who are the children who get it, who are more susceptible, then I would say, yeah, go, you know, those kids that we think are safe, go out, go get it, you know, otherwise you'll be healthy and you'll have immunity problem is one we don't have the full information on that inflammatory syndrome and two we don't fully know how long immunity lasts so we know for SARS and MERS immunity lasts about two to three years we know for the common cold coronaviruses immunity doesn't really last and what we don't know for COVID is how long the immunity lasts so far nobody who's gotten COVID once hasn't gotten it again that's really promising um, so I think it's safe we, we probably can suspect that immunity will at least last some period of time. But if it's only three months, four months, five months, then again, your child getting it, herd immunity right now won't really help us for the long picture. So as we get more information there, and that just takes time, then that will give us more information as to what's the best way to achieve herd immunity that lasts. So now let me go back for a second, because you talked about the, um, the 
um, inflammatory, the Kawasaki syndrome, mm -hmm. and the kids that have died. So they don't have any patterns yet in terms of any comorbidities, any any vulnerabilities, any making some digestive issues right. where their immune system may be vulnerable. It does it does seem to be in children ages like nine to 11-ish um, adolescents. They say they were previously healthy according to the case reports. Mm -hmm. There is some evidence that it's more likely, more high risk in black and Hispanic children. Mm -hmm. For some reason, Kawasaki itself is higher risk in a children of Asian descent, but this Kawasaki-like MSIS right. seems to be higher um, with black and Hispanic. The most common morbidities, comorbidities being obesity and asthma. So right. similar to kids who suffer from severe COVID, um, but a little bit slightly different. So these kids, even the nine to 11 year olds, and we know there's an obesity problem among children. So these kids, even nine to 11 years old, are leaning toward the obese end yeah. of things. It seems to be. And again, those are the most common comorbidities. That was in about 20 to 30% of the kids. Right. So, I mean, there's still 60 to 70% of kids who didn't have those. Right. Which is why it's important just to keep watching, which is why it's just say, let's, let's be vigilant, let's learn. Well, it's so funny. I had a, a discussion with a mom who's, um, she's very sensitive. She's got a kid that's got asthma. So she's been sensitive about it um, and very careful to, to keep, keep her child safe. And the, the thing that parents, we all have to deal with, but I think parents in particular is always weighing the risks of the choices, right? So that the same, you could go to an, ex an extreme extent and say, but if you ride your bicycle, you might get hit by a car. If you go, if you, there's always risk in life. Mm -hmm. And we're constantly weighing that trade-off of the risk versus living in a cave for the next right. however long. Right. Uh, and I, I agree. I think that to a certain extent, we need to not allow this to have us put in the bubble. That's in a, in a forever long bubble. That said, the bicycle, it's a slightly different example. With COVID, I'm, the reason I'm staying cautious with my children is because I do think in one month, two months, three months, we'll know more. And yes. it's not necessarily necessary to open them up right now. With yeah. a bicycle, it, it's not going to make any difference. They're going to need to ride a bicycle at one point or another. Might as well go out now, put on your helmet and skin your knees now. That's the difference. <laughs> right. that, that risk will forever be the same, yeah. well, depending on what street <laughs> It'll you're hurt more when you yeah. get older. Just learn how to ride a bicycle while you're short and close to the ground. Different from COVID, where we, we just are learning so much more. Understood, but I, I'm just on this whole kind of yeah. risk reward. So let's get into some of these specifics. You talk about that you've got something called a 40 system for making decisions as people are thinking about, again, do they do play dates? Do they do summer group activities? What's going to happen with school? Seeing grandma, family dinners, whatever it is. So talk about what your 40 system is. Yeah, so I made the four Ds because everybody was coming to me and saying, can I do this scenario with this other person if we stand on our head? And I realized everyone needs to be able to make their own decisions, and especially as statistics are changing and cases are rising in specific pockets. So the four Ds, think of them like if you look at a sound bar and there's, you know, you can increase the volume in, on four different things. The first D is density. So how many people are in, a in, a, in an enclosed space? Are they you know, indoors, which is higher risk? Are they outdoors, which is lower risk? The second D is distance. Are you, can you maintain six feet away from people? We've seen from other studies that for every meter or three feet you are away from people, you drop the risk of, ex of infection by another half. So again, the further away you can be, the better. The third D is duration. Are you, you know, on the low risk, just passing by somebody on the outside 
out on a walk for 15 seconds. Well, chances are, unless they literally sneeze in your face, they are not going to give you COVID. Um, versus so people in the dog park that run away from me. You know, maybe they're running away from you for other reasons, Sarah. Maybe I have a, you have a super a, scary dog. I have a very cute little dog. <laughs> they're the scariest. Little ones are the scariest. Um, oh, I should have had him on my lap. Often he's here. Oh, <laughs> um, so yeah, duration matters versus are you sitting in some place with somebody for two, four, six hours? And then the last day is degree of activity. Are you sitting quietly or are you exercising together? Like we saw that outbreak in a Korean Zumba in, in South Korea or in, um, are you singing and shouting those things? So if you think about that, if all four days are high risk, well, that's a high risk event. You should probably skip it, especially in light of the rising cases. If all four days are low risk, great, go ahead and, and do it as long as you're a healthy person. And if you see, well, three of the days are low, but this one's high. Well, now you know exactly why. And is there a way to kind of slide that high risk D back to low risk to make an activity safer? Oh, so you brought in the the dog being the fifth. The nice thing is my dog. family was listening to me, so he brought me my dog. Oh, it's really away. cute. That's not a reason to run away from you. I agree. Exactly, right? He's the cutest, happiest little dog. Okay, take the dog away. Can I go back to work now? <laughs> Thank you, family. I can't see you. You're out of frame. I kept him out of frame. But the dog, of course, gets into everything. Um, now I lost my train of thought. Okay, so the no, 40. it's okay, but so that's the point of the forties right. because as people ch as statistics change, information changes. That way, you can make your own decisions and you can know what to change to make something safer, whether it's going to a restaurant or a play date or anything else. So, Doctor Oz made a comment this morning on some place I saw him where it was, you know, six feet and fifteen minutes. Mm -hmm. That if you're if you're with someone, I guess for less than fifteen minutes, I guess the odds of contracting it is lower. Yeah, and there's so many variables, you really can't say like there's this one thing that's kind of like saying you won't have a car accident if you're going 50 miles an hour or less. Right. Well, on average, sure. Right. So on average, 15 minutes. But uh, again, it, it, so you can't just say that if you do this above it, you're at risk, below it, you're not. But just keep in mind, duration, the shorter is better. And yeah, five minutes, you know, five minutes is, is definitely, you know, is something that's, again, going to be a lower risk. So that's what you're saying. I mean, even for, so... Let's go to some of the like basic life decisions. Okay, so like, let me just run down the list. Yes, no. Mm -hmm. Bring your kid to the grocery store. I don't. If you can have somebody, this is one of those. Is it an, an optional risk? If you can have somebody stay at home with your kids and you go to the grocery store, that's better. If you have no choice, then you can choose delivery or take your kid if you absolutely have to. So, but let me challenge you on it. Because aside from the fact that there are a lot of people in there, mm -hmm. they're, they're not, you're not standing on them. You're right. moving quickly past them. Your mm -hmm. kid's kind of at your side. Right. So, so there it depends on the ventilation. Like if you come across around an aisle and somebody just sneezed in there, there's some recent research about how long that kind of, that kind of droplets can stay in the air. It can hover in the air. Is it enough to make you sick? We don't know. That's why it's a sort of thing. If you have no other way to get food, right. then yes, take mask up your child, right, right. go to the grocery store. But if you can avoid it, then it's one of those things that you should try to do. It's what I do. And, and teach them about washing their hands and not touching teach your hands. Teach them about washing their hands and not touching their face. Not touching their face. Yes. The big one, right. Yes. Um, all right. So let's talk about playdates then, because you said mm -hmm. that you're doing kind of these small groups and then expand mm -hmm. out. So, so talk about how that works. Yeah. So I, I'm telling people that if you want to be expanding, then 
instead of expanding to the whole world, remember we go into kind of a stepwise process. Um, do a quarantine pod. So find a couple, two other, two or three other families that have a similar philosophy that you do to how you're keeping safe and and have these conversations with people. Find out what do they do when they go to the grocery store? Are they going out to eat? Are they are they going to bars? You know, you you need to have these conversations. If they're aligned, then you can say this group of people is our pod. You can have play dates with them. You can trade childcare because parents are flipping out because we just cannot get a moment. So find that other parent. Maybe they're a working parent as well and say, okay, well, I'll have all the kids. I'll wrangle them all, you know, on this day at my house. You take them the next day. Uh, maybe you watch each other for alternating grocery shopping, different things like that to give yourself a break. Quarantine pods matter for two reasons or three different reasons. One, overall, you're exposing your kids to less people as you know, you're exposing them to six, six other kids or something. Number two is you're exposing them to kids who are theoretically lower risk, as opposed to going to camp where they could be exposed to kids that you don't know what those other parents are doing and how they're keeping their family safe. Maybe they have a different philosophy than you do. And thirdly, something that I think is really important, if your child is at camp and they're amongst 20 other kids and one of those kids' families finds out that they had an exposure, you probably won't find out about it, or you at least won't find out about it for several days. If your pod, someone and it finds out they have an exposure, which let's be honest, we're all going to get that call at some point of the next six months that you had some exposure. But if it was in your pod, you're going to find out about it. So for all those reasons, I think a quarantine pod is a great way to get everybody some sanity, get out, let the kids play. So I love that idea. But meanwhile, okay, so, the, so that's that piece of it. So now I've got to be in controlled environments. Mm-hmm. Team sports, I was just talking to someone that works for me. Her daughter was getting ready for softball practice. So team sports are starting up. Some of the mm-hmm. summer kid group activities. Um, you know, Now you got the same kids, but it's a bigger group per se. Mm-hmm. And you were just talking about like, what if you've got a bigger group of kids at camp? So are you a thumbs up or thumbs down on those kinds of things? And does it depend? So- <laughs> Two-part question. That and... <laughs> Three part. And by age, right? So if I've got a six-year-old versus I have a twelve-year-old versus I have I have a high schooler that you know is in sailing camp, I'll call it. Right. Exactly. So age is one of the first things. You know, um, if your child is old enough to understand the the four Ds and keeping distance and how to be smart and not to touch their mask, touch not touch their right. face when they're wearing a mask, right. then you can you know. In, be a little less be less concerned, and that also depends on how much disease is in your area. You know, if you're in one of these hot spots, you got to be more careful. If you're in a place that doesn't have a lot of COVID right now, then you can take that into account. Number two, take it, take into account, are they indoors? Are they outdoors? Yeah. If your child's sailing, I mean, that's about as outdoors with air ventilation as can be. Like that's the extreme example, um, you know, versus wrestling, right? Wrestling is going to be a a harder decision. You know, that's a tough one. Um, And then also I would say every opportunity you can, um, I'm a big fan of saying, like, you got to do the things you got to do, whether it's work or you know, getting your groceries. But every opportunity we can have to remove risk when it's possible, then you do. So if the kids can practice separately or train separately or train in smaller groups, and again, in pods, do that as opposed to having the entire team train together every single day. Because remember, degree of activity matters. And when kids are exercising and breathing more, then it's going to be easier to spread coronavirus. So, all right, so I've got some questions coming in from people, if I can share them with you. And again, oh, if anybody has them. questions, put them on, put them on the chat. Um, so with the teams, do they, um, should, do the kids, so if you're going to do this and you're in the groups, 
what about like I'll call it washing the kids' kids' hands or the sa the mm -hmm. sanitizers? Do they do that? I'll call it every half hour. Do you make sure your kids are constantly washing while you're in the groups? And how crazy no. are we going to make our? We're going to get to the how crazy are we going to make the kids through all of this? <laughs> right, <laughs> which we don't want to do. Right. Exactly. We don't right. want to do. So in terms of hand washing, um, I know we can talk about like playgrounds and different things in, in a separate one. So we're talking about teams. It's right. It depends on what, what sport are they doing? You know, if they're playing softball or baseball, then, you know, I'd say make sure they're not sharing bats and, you right. know, make sure they're not sharing gloves. They are throwing that ball back and forth. So yeah, right. I'd have them wash their hands and don't touch your face in between it. Um, you know, if you have once an hour is great. Uh, if they're not touching each other, if it's soccer, Right. Um, I guess soccer, you're technically throwing That's the ball, in, but, but they're touching. They're pushing. Yeah, exactly. So we have to use judgment here. There are no, there's not any like single rule I can give people. And again, this is, we have, it's like, you have to have, it's like life with a three-year-old. You have to keep your knees kind of mm -hmm. soft because you never know when they're going to come run at you. We have to watch if you're, if you have your girls soccer team and you have a camp and then suddenly two weeks in, you start seeing COVID cases. Well, then you're going to have to, we'll have to dial back and figure it out. Um, and I think now more than ever, we have to be like, even as experts, like we have to be very humble about this. We don't know. We're all kind of living in a global experiment right now. Um, and we just have to keep watching. How about jungle gyms? You know, they've, so, they've, yeah. they've blocked off all the poor kids playgrounds. Mm, we got to get the kids outside. Right. Um, go outside, go for hikes, go play outside. So a couple things on playgrounds. I tend to say go first thing in the morning if you can for two reasons. One, it tends to be less crowded. And two, the last time it was touched was at least 12 hours ago. Right. So, and I think, you know, there's not a study on sampling jungle gym germs, right. um, but at least yes. it's been outdoors. Sure it's yes, so yes. Right. It's been outdoors in the right. elements. So that makes me feel better. Um, go the, you know, go in as less crowded. Um, you know, yes, have your ch children, like make sure it's not super, it, your kid can be separated from people. If they get there and there happens to be a lot of people, bring some other activities, bring some balls, bring some bubbles so that you can take your kids to a separate corner of the park and still play and still right. be around um, and let them run around. Yes, have them sanitize their hands, have them wash their hands. Um, don't, I usually say don't eat food there, go home to eat so you can wash your hands and, and eat. Yeah. Let them go, let them run around. Cause that also means that we're being good stewards. So if you're just there for an hour or two, that frees up the playground for somebody else to come play. So let me play my own devil's advocate. We mm -hmm. started out this, and you may say, Sarah, that's the dumbest thing you've ever asked. But I'm Am I allowed to say that? You can say that. Anyone can always say <laughs> I, I can hear anything. It's fine. But I asked some of these questions because there are contradictions through all of this, right? And I try to think of what's in people's minds, right? So, and I watch the people that are saying, no, 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 I can't go out in public. And then there's, it doesn't get them sick. So here's what I'm going to ask. And again, you can say that's the dumbest question I ever heard. We talked earlier about the odds of kids getting sick. They're not really getting it. So if they're not really getting it, their immune systems for the most part are protecting them from this, then why can't we let them be together? I'm not saying, you know, gymnastics and wrestling on top of each other, but we're like, also go into this extreme of, but you know, maybe you can be with the kids and maybe you can and, and wash your hands. And so, and I understand you want to keep a lot of those precautions, mm -hmm. but we're overlaying like the two risk factors of the different age groups on each other. So, right. So the thing of kids not getting it, again, those studies, like the, even the ones I quoted you were after the lockdown. So kids weren't in schools. Right. So we haven't seen what really happened when everybody's back. Mm -hmm. 
that's so that's part of it. That's why I'm saying let's do it. This in a stepwise fashion, as opposed to let's let everybody go out. Let's do it in, in smaller groups and then build and then build and build and learn each time. That's a safer thing. Um, that's one, and that's two. Again, yeah, it it is for the most part. Kids are going to be okay. Um, but two things. There's that. I still want to learn for my own children. Right. And that's all just say for my own children. And I'm not a, you know, I'm a person, obviously I, I run towards crisis. So I don't have that kind of anxiety about this. But even for my own children, I'm thinking, what's, why? Why, they don't need to rush into some big group right now. It feels like that would be normal. And so I get that part of me wants to go do that. But I push back, like, why? Is that really necessary? Can we, while we're still in this learning phase for the next six weeks, can we find other ways to give our children that outlet in smaller groups so that we're not adding risk? Because I see that as unnecessary risk. There's sometimes necessary risk. That's an unnecessary risk. And let my kids go wild in a huge crowded playground is an unnecessary risk. So let's find ways to be safe. Well, and I understand all of that. And we're going to talk in just one second. I have one more question. And then we're going to talk about just these risks that these children have, have suffered in terms of emotional health. Mm -hmm in terms of what I've called PTSD of the whole pandemic, watching these you know, kids that are having anxiety issues, depression issues, as the, the parents have made the kids crazy. So I want to go right. there in a second. Before that, let me just ask, someone was asking, and you know, the, the, um, you may or may not be able to answer this in terms of the Dr. Derry opinion on kids going back to school. Um, so at different yeah. ages. I know kids who are getting ready to go to college. I, mm -hmm. I know somebody who is already there um, and they had they've tested everybody and they're getting tested once a month and they're quarantined and they've got a mm -hmm. special um, dorm that's set up. Um, so how should people feel about going back to school? So remember I said there's necessary risk and mm -hmm. unnecessary risk. Um, I think our kids need to go back to school. Our, mm -hmm. our children need to be back in school from an academic standpoint. They need to be back in school because for many working parents, that is their childcare. So the economy cannot heal until the children are back in school. And thirdly, there's the social aspects of it, obviously the emotional one to do with their friends, but then there are children who rely on school for meals and a number of other structured things. So I'm working with a number of schools looking at going back. And if we say the most necessary thing is getting them back, getting them learning, we may have to strip away other things that get that, that increase the risk. Maybe maybe that means that they're not eating in the cafeteria. Maybe they're not having the same kind of recess. Uh, maybe it's potentially a shorter day if it has to be or, or other ways. But let's say, let's put our stake in the sand and say, or stake in the ground. We know what I mean. Yeah. Um, sand, it'll fall over. Say, it's not very strong. Sand, okay, okay, <laughs> fine. Let's miss metaphor, please. <laughs> let's put our stake Damn in the sand. Yeah, no. Let's say our kids need to go to school this year. That is a necessary risk. Unless we find out something that we totally didn't expect, our kids need to go to school this fall. Um, let's use the next six weeks to figure out what are the things that we need to trim back and what we can do. But yeah, our kids need to go back. That's it. Okay. I saw a frightening statistic about this whole semester that was just lost on, mm -hmm. you know, older kids, I mean, it was lost for everybody, but just you know, the kids that were supposed to be having classes, the schools weren't set up for yeah. the kids. If even if they had these Zoom classes, kids weren't showing up for it. it just but it was hard. I, I it exactly. was and for us parents, it was miserable. Um, but yeah, our kids need to it. go back. Um, right. And yes, I think our, our kids, for the most part, we again, we'll learn so much in the next six weeks as kids yeah. start to go back. But yes, for all these reasons, kids need to be in school. All right. Now let's talk about the 
damage that has been done to the kids, right? So because the kids have to deal with this aspect of it as well. Um, yeah. Behavioral, physical, emotional, mm-hmm. emotional, as I said, so how do we want, where do I start this? Let's talk about first and foremost, I think, because this has been the hardest, is anxiety among these kids and fears and fears of, are you going to get sick and die? I mean, the, the, the messaging to these kids has been so heavy. I, yeah. Paranoia just oozes into the kids. Yeah. And that's a thing, you know, just like they say, like, don't let mom and dad fight in front of the kids or let them, at least if you fight, let them see you, um, you know, everything become okay again. I think it's really important as parents and we shouldn't be anxious. We are learning. We should be vigilant, but should not as individuals, as parents, we need to check that anxiety. Um, but definitely don't project it onto your children. You know, I know one mom, a friend of mine who said, you know, I think I've given my child anxiety about COVID and now, now I'm trying to work to bring that back. And so she's not alone. I know a lot of them. Yeah. So that comes from how we're messaging to our kids. My kids aren't anxious about what well, my, my three-year-old could care less. My six-year-old though, she is very aware of what say she, she's not anxious. She um, she sees, she saw somebody not wearing a mask the other day and she said, well, mommy, we should not in, be with, go visit with them until they are safe. Mm-hmm. And, but she was very matter of fact. And I said, yes, ma'am. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> thank you for noticing that. Right. Um, but it was, you know, kind of said with the same demeanor, she would say, you know, if I, uh, you know, ate my food with my hands and not with my fork. She was just correcting me on what she understands. And so I think that's very important. We need to, and I think we can do that in a couple of different ways. People are concerned about the nebulous anxiety of, of uncertainty of this. Mm-hmm. Let's bring that down. And this works in, in whatever you're anxious about. Say, okay, what's the actual risk? And we've been talking about it for the vast majority of children. This is not going to be a big deal. There's a very, very small portion that, that have severe consequences. Um, and the, th- the only thing I take from that is, okay, so I'm going to slow slow down how quickly my children go out in the public for the next six weeks. Well, I learn so much more. But we as parents can don't need, we need to remember those numbers, okay? Not to make us cavalier, but at least not to make us anxious. So remember that. And then you talk about what you can do. Remember what is in your control. Well, what is in your control? Hand washing and masks, who you choose to socialize with, the activities you choose to do. And you teach that to your children. We're not helpless victims here. And you know the, that we, can, we have many tools and we're learning every single day. I mean, just the treatments that we've learned um, of how to treat this in, in, the, in hospitals. We're not helpless victims. Every individual has tools that we can do and teaching our kids that way. Here's the risk. Here's what we're gonna do, having a plan. I think if you do that, then your children aren't anxious about it and they won't be. And I think a lot of parents are worried for their children and then they create this circuitous, vicious yes. cycle. I had one friend was talking to me the day or she had, um, she was watching something and um, she was actually watching, she had the, the presidential convention on the background. She's a reporter. So she yes. had to report on this. So she That's had it on the background. Yeah. And so her, her five-year-old happened to walk in while it was on and she heard the president said a bad word. Yes. So my friend was all aghast and she's talking to her five-year-old about why these bad words are, are bad things. And her son finally said, mom, I get it. He's been locked up in the house too long. He just needed to get out. So you know what? Our kids get it. Give them some credit. You know what? There's, yes, there, we have this loss of the semester. The world is not going to be wiped out. Our children will be, will be okay. We are, as an emergency room doctor, I am constantly reminded by how resilient children are. They are 35,000 times more resilient than adults. 
And if we can just stop projecting our anxiety on them, they will be okay. Yeah, I think that's so much, so important. Just parents forgetting the role modeling job of us mm -hmm. and yes. the messaging. And then as they think, as your kids go off to whatever their activities are, are you saying things to them in a voice and a style of fear and paranoia? Or are you going, hey, have a great time. Don't forget to wash your hands before you, you know, whatever. Right. Just right. Exactly. a confident way versus a fearful way. Right. And two things on that. If they're doing something that makes you that anxious that you can't, so first check, like, are you really, is it anxiety real or is it just kind of you being mommy worry? Sometimes it's mom gut. And if it's truly making you that anxious, right. then that's in your control to remove them from it. So don't have them do it and then be anxious. That doesn't help anybody. Um, and secondly, on that point of kids being resilient, we constantly see, I will see children come in with a fracture and they leave, they don't get anything, they don't want anything for pain, they don't ask for anything for pain aside from a popsicle. They get a popsicle and a stuffed teddy bear. <laughs> the adult will come in, Oh, they're anxious. What am I going to do? How much Percocet can I get? Oh. We adults, we're way wimpier than kids. If we'll just get out of our children's way and inform them, but don't worry them. Can I tell you, one of the, as, when my kids were young, this is one of the first lessons I learned about kids taking cues from parents. You watch a kid, a little kid fall at the playground. Yeah. And the first thing they do is look at mom. Yes, they do. And mom either says, well done, get up. <laughs> or mom says, oh my gosh, are you okay? Let me get the Tylenol. And it sends the message to these kids of, of fear, of medication, of, you know, a whole versus resilience. Versus, all right, I scraped my knee. Cool, yeah. let's go. Here, here's an ice pack. Put some ice <laughs> on it. Yes, exactly, exactly. Um, my kids do I, that. Anybody gets hurt, they just like run. They're like, I'll get the ice pack. I'm like, no matter what it okay. is now, they just get nice. I'm like, right, go. Have fun. My kids knew that the rule was if they wanted to go barefoot, which I was a barefoot person, and the kids like barefoot. You're gonna take. You might get splinters, and you get to take them out. And that <laughs> you, get to take them out. you get to take them out yourself because it doesn't hurt as much when you take it out yourself. This is true. Right. This is true. It's very scary to have someone come at you with a needle. Mm -hmm. um, someone asked a question, and thank you, audience, for the questions. Please keep them coming. Um, as long as Daria is okay, still talking to me. Um, Love it. I'm looking at them. Two. So. Question about hand sanitizer. That's always, you know, bottom line, we'd always written things about hand sanitizers, good and bad. You got a lot of chemicals, you're, you're ingesting those chemicals. There were a bunch, there was on the news the other day about um, several brands that were toxic and you should not be using. Um, so what is your opinion? Is there, I'll call it too much hand sanitizer for kids or hand sanitizer versus some other way of washing? Yeah. So, and I always tell people, if you can wash with good old soap and water, that always trumps hand sanitizer. So hand sanitizer is if you really don't have anything else. And remember, before you use a hand sanitizer, if your kid's hands are uh, clearly dirty, rinse it with water first, and sanitizer isn't going to get off that mud. But, and then also, if you've been using sanitizer, say they were at a game and they needed to use sanitizer a couple times, when you get home, wash their hands. And there's also, that's where I say there's the role for antibacterial soap versus not. And I'm very cognizant about not using antibacterial soap everywhere in my house. I use it in two places. It's at the sink, in my kitchen, at the sink, at the kitchen sink, because there I'm handling, you know, raw meat, which has, you know, E. coli and salmonella and all their fun things that raw meat can have. So I have the antibacterial there. And right now I have it right in the bathroom when you come home. 
-hmm. So you wash once with the antibacterial, but right. then the rest of the time, we don't need antibacterial. You just need water. You need to make a really good lather for 20 seconds, and then that's fine. And if you do that, then you're not constantly using antibacterial. You're not constantly using hand sanitizers. So, Gotcha. Okay. Great question. Let's talk about the parents, parent burnout, because mm -hmm. these poor parents, again, they have been just in the middle of it all, worrying about their elderly parents, worrying about the kids, dealing with schools. And now the parents, you talked about, you know, what, what um, was your daughter said about people being locked inside, right? Yeah. Um, so the parents have been locked inside. They're short of temper. They're giving their kids Lunchables or whatever they can, you know, feed at the, help the parents. Okay. Yes. A couple of quick tips. One is get outside. I mean, let's, let's, we all need to get outside. You know, you are going to go to a park, go hiking, go running in the street, just get outside. Um, there's less, there's less smog right now. So you're safe to go running in the street. There's less traffic. Um, but that's, there are a couple of different things I would tell parents. One is, um, focus on what I call high maintenance. Mm -hmm. And I realized that I, I was kind of, I, I get up every morning and I, I go for a run down in my basement uh, on a treadmill that's several years old. Um, and then when I have time, I do a quick meditation right afterwards. Mm -hmm. And I do it before my kids wake up. And because those are my maintenance things and it's not with apology. It is not with judgment. It's just that I do it because I got to have that to maintain myself mm -hmm. and to maintain my sanity. And you know what? Like we schedule our car for maintenance. My HVAC is on a quarterly maintenance and then we're not taking care of ourselves. So I want right. everybody to find that time. You may have to do it before your kids wake up. Do your maintenance. It keeps you sane. Um, number two is have a plan for when you're about to lose it. Because if 10 is where you're about to lose it, a lot of us are living at like six to eight. They're telling you to take your physical temperature for COVID. Take your emotional temperature. When you get to an eight, stop trying to power through it and put dinner on the table. No, have a plan. If you have a partner there, then you just say, I need to disengage for a moment or I need space. Even my six-year-old now is like, I just need some space. Like, do, do you, and have a plan. Like your partner takes the kids for 10 minutes and, or, you know, if you don't want to do with you, put the kids in front of the PBS app. It doesn't matter. Just go disengage because otherwise you're going to lose it. You're going to lose it in front of your family. And then they see that. So go disengage, go for a walk. Um, you mentioned barefoot. There's a lot to be said, taking off your socks and walking barefoot on the ground for centering mm -hmm. yourself, take a bath, read a book, scream and punch a pillow, disengage when you get to that eight. Um, and then I would also say, take something off your plate if you can because we've all had so much smashed onto our plates. And now you add like on Instagram, I see all these other art activities people are doing. I'm not an artsy person. Right. So figure out whether it's a work thing or a child thing or a child activity, take something off your plate. Now is a moment we all need to take a breath. And we, we triage in the emergency department every day. There's my reds are my most important, my yeah. yellows, my greens. And there are things for my patients. You can say I have a patient coming in with a heart attack. I've got to fix that heart problem. And I've got to stabilize my patient. My patient may have other things. They may need vitamins. They may need something else. And I have to say, I can't focus on those because if I focus on all these other little things that we have in our to-do list, I'll never achieve the most important things, right. which is saving this patient. So take something off your plate. Just make this decision to do something for six weeks. Look at your list. What can you let go? Because if people are saying, I'm only getting 50% of this stuff done. And I say, well, Yet you're surviving. So what is that other 50% that you're not getting done? Do you even need to do it? Um, and then I would say one last thing is if you do lose it, there's this concept of rupture and repair. 
Um, you lose it, you yell at your family over something, you know, you drop the detergent and you just lost it because you were already here. Um, the concept of rupture and repair says, after you've had that rupture, if you never came back and kind of rounded out with the family, then yes, the relationship would be harmed. But if you come back, come back to your child and have a conversation and say, you know, I'm sorry that I reacted that way. It wasn't my best. This is what I'm gonna try to do. And I'm, I'm really sorry. Actually, the relationship is better than if you didn't have the rupture at all. So give yourself that forgiveness. You didn't, you did not damage your children for life. Go back, apologize. Your kids will learn more from it. Yes, yeah, so your kids, kids love understanding and are so accepting of parents being human. Mm-hmm. But I mean, the brother, yes. I admit I'm a human all the time. And it's yeah, my, right. I'm, I'm I had this. human. I am yeah, right. I'm very, I'm very human. Um, I had one moment I'd spent, I've gone one store trying to find detergents. I went to another store trying right. to find detergent. I finally got help with this. Right. right? Yeah. And um, we had detergent. It was, well, it was in shortage for a while. Yeah. Um, I opened my car in the back and all the detergent fell out and cracked on the floor of the garage. <laughs> so now I'm literally bawling over right. detergent. And my husband walks in. He's like, what? Um, so I had that whole moment. And then later I was talking to my daughter and I right. apologized to her. And she said, mommy, it's okay. You're just under a lot of pressure. Your daughter sounds awesome. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, honey. I, you know, so again, just to talk to your children at all ages and give and yourself grace. We're all under this stress. Everybody's feeling it. It's okay. It has. I mean, and I always, since my, my kids were young, I always made sure I had time to exercise. Like that was my mm-hmm. thing. And that was the rule. And they all learned very early on. And I didn't necessarily get up early for them, but it was mom was going to exercise. When my kids got older, because I was working, I'd come home from work, I'd be with them 100% for the next two or three hours or whatever it was, whatever it was, they knew that I was there. And I was always accessible during the day, but I was with them. And then they also knew that at like eight o'clock or nine o'clock, depending on what time, how old they were, I was done. I had stuff to do also. Like I had And then they, they, we were now had our space. Like I was there, but not that they couldn't come talk to me, but boundaries. They always say, you know, the old put put the oxygen mask on yourself that we are entitled. And right now it's been a really hard thing for these parents that are putting so much pressure on themselves. They had to tutor, they have to feed, they have to, you know, be there, entertain their kids when there was nobody else that these kids could go out with and there was nothing else to do. So I really feel for how hard it's been for the parents. Um, but to give themselves break, bring, let the kids participate. A lot of parents don't let their kids like play with knives and help in the kitchen. <laughs> but you can, you can find easy ways. Short of playing with knives, you know. My, no, my like, I mean, like helping with the kitchen no. and helping yes. cook, easy cook ways meals. To do it. Right. Yes, and giving them responsibilities. And I yeah. think there's some part of it that it's good, you know, go be creative. I tell my daughter, she said, what am I going to do for the next hour? I'm like, you're going to write it, read a story. And mm-hmm. then you're going to write a story that you're going to read to me and you're going to figure it out. Yeah. Let them play. So we don't have to keep our children entertained. I think this has been something that for the last 20 years, parents have thought we have to keep our children entertained and their schedules right. perfectly planned every right. single minute of the day. Right. You don't, you don't create boundaries. And I think what you just said was so important. When you are there, be there, have an end of the day ritual, you shut down your computer, you put down your phone and for the next three hours, I mean, I challenge all your listeners to do this tonight, just for, just do it for one hour, do it for 30 minutes. Put away your phone where you can't even hear it and you will feel liberated. You are just with your family. It feels so good. Do it and you'll do more. Thousand percent. All right. One last question. Um, 
helping our kids boost immune systems. Adults, we're talking about vitamin D deficiencies. We're talking about mm -hmm. zinc um, as something that can, can be protective yeah. against COVID. Right. How about for kids? Any of these rules apply for kids or anything that parents can do as the kids now are going to go back out into the world as well yeah. to mm -hmm. boost their defenses? Yeah. So in terms of adults, I have my parents taking zinc, vitamin C, and vitamin D. Um, there is life. Yeah, exactly. And there's a correlation. My dad said, well, people who have lower vitamin D um, had worse comorbidities in co with COVID. And I was like, well, daddy, essentially everybody in the world has low vitamin D right mm -hmm. now. So that's like kind of a, 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 but yes, there is a correlation. So I was talking to another girlfriend of mine who's a pediatrician and she agreed. She was saying, you know, vitamin C, zinc, and vitamin D. And then she's like, but do your best. She's like, my kids only ever take vitamin C and D when I remember too. So again, those are good to aim for. Talk to your pediatrician if you have any questions. Have them take just a, a crunchy multivitamin chewable. Um, that's going to give you a lot of those, and maybe that's going to be easier than having to worry about a bunch of different vitamins too. Gotcha. And I'm totally embarrassed. I'm blanking out right now on foods that are high in zinc. I mean, again, feed them good food. It's yeah, well, and so it's, yes, it's exactly. Sit and eat potato chips and pop tarts. But feed them whole foods. Them whole and I food. think that's a big, for parents right now, if you focus on two things, we don't have to worry about having an Instagram perfect summer with our kids. Right. Focus on getting them a lot of physical activity outside. My kids go outside no matter what. They want to sit on the iPad and I'm like, no, you're going outside. You're going outside for an hour right now. We're going to run around, have them do that and focus on whole foods. We were having an issue with food and dinner and dessert and kind of bargaining. So we have a couple different norms because if it's a norm, my kids can't argue. I'm like, that's the rules. Those are the rules. Um, sna afternoon snacks are just from the refrigerator. There's nothing chips or crackers in the pantry. You can have anything you want from the refrigerator, fruits, vegetables, cheese, whatever. Um, and then desserts, we said desserts. We don't need to have every single night from the junk food desserts. You can have fruit every night for dessert, but we have dessert three nights a week. And my children get to choose what night it is. So it's Wednesday, Friday, and Saturday. So again, our kids are getting a lot of extra processed foods right now. Um, if you can give them just more whole foods. And so that's why I made that, uh, that weeknight dinner blueprint, just to give them more whole foods. That'll help yes. everybody feel better. Totally. And I just did, I was looking down, looking like I was doing my, my shaggy. I was just double checking zinc foods. So zinc foods are mostly um, um, proteins. Yes, animal protein exactly. and, and nuts. Let your kids snack mm -hmm. on nuts. Those yeah. are great. Nuts yeah. and seeds and seafood. So, um, and some dairy as well. So if yes, you exactly protein based, but if you just, right. just give them a whole diet of right. lots of good, healthy proteins and lots of fruits and veggies, and then you don't have to worry. Does this one have zinc or does this one have biotin right. or whatever it is? They're going to get everything together. And that's better than any pill could do. Fabulous. All right, Dr. Daria, thank you so much. Thank you. Follow Sarah. her. Go to her website, drdaria.com. Uh, follow her on all of the on Instagram, on Facebook, Instagram. wherever you can find in social, Dr. Daria. Um, you're awesome. Thank you very thank much. Thank you, Sarah. Thanks, Such a great time. Right. Everybody, message me with questions. Happy to answer them. Absolutely. We will. We'll follow up and get answers on. On. So keep putting the messages out. All right. Thanks so Perfect. much. All right. Bye. Bye. I'm talking to Dr. Daria Long Gillespie an emergency room doctor, a clinical assistant professor, and mother of two about the many challenges facing parents in the day and age of coronavirus. Parents have been faced with not only worrying about keeping their kids safe from sickness during the pandemic, but also how to support them emotionally through this incredibly confusing and frightening time. Helping readers through their most difficult challenges with advice from top experts is core to how our flagship publication, Bottom Line Personal, helps people do better and feel better. Dr. Daria is just one of the type of top experts who have appeared in Bottom Line Personal, 
not just in healthcare, but in all aspects of life, including financial planning, great gift ideas, how to save money on travel, insurance snafus, smart tax strategies, improving your relationships, and so much more. Bottom Line Personal has been helping people live more informed and vibrant lives for nearly 50 years with our actionable and double fact-checked advice. Subscribe today and get a free bonus book, Bottom Line's Best Bets, full of some of the greatest tips from our experts of all time. Just go to bottomlineinc.com forward slash expert podcast. That's bottomlineinc.com forward slash expert podcast.